0: Over and over, the other phrase is the heavenly places. We've been given these every spiritual blessing is what it says in Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's the location. And then he says in Christ. So it's all because of we are in Christ that we have these spiritual blessings just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world we've been chosen we're now believers we're his and it says there that we've been chosen we've been adopted we've been redeemed and now we have an inheritance and so those are all words that we hear daily and maybe many of us maybe even don't know what they mean but to be chosen means to be picked to be selected for god's purposes And in this case, it means to be set apart from the world for the purposes of God in His kingdom. So we've been chosen for the best team that ever was. It's not even kickball. It's not even the basketball team. It's not even varsity. Any of those things, it's the kingdom of God. We've been chosen to be servants. He's adopted us not only as servants, which the word there means slaves, but He's made us sons and daughters. So we're not just members of his uh, kingdom service group or slaves, but we're made children of God according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. His death on the cross, his resurrection, all of those things make us, because we trust in him, his sons and daughters. That's, that's amazing to me, to be a son or a daughter of God himself. But that, it doesn't stop there. He says... We've been redeemed, meaning that we've been bought back, though we were sold over to sin as slaves and sold over to the power of sin. We were not our own. We were serving our lusts and our desires. And before we knew it, we couldn't even fight back because we were given over to our sins so much that we could no longer have the strength to get out of it. We were entangled. And so Jesus has bought us back from that slavery. And many people in Ephesus want to understand that because in their, in their region, most people were slaves, real slaves. They didn't have the ability to make their own free choices. They couldn't vote. They couldn't do the things that you and I are, kind of take for granted. They, they were owned by someone. So he says we've been redeemed. We've been bought back from slavery. So even for the folks in Ephesus that were slaves, even though they were practical slaves, they were free spiritually in Christ. So even as slaves, they became workers for their owners, but they were no longer doing it because they were slaves. They were doing it because they were working for the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 3 says, everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. That included people that were slaves. And so What I wanted to talk about that I did not talk about last week, that Paul's giving them this list of things, that riches that they have because they are Christ's. Christ has redeemed them. He's adopted them as sons. He's made them childs of the kingdom. They've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because they're in Christ. Why is Paul telling them this? I struggled with that. Last week, I taught this lesson. I was like, I got done and I felt unfinished because I was like, I told them all these things, but I don't know why Paul's telling the Ephesians these things. Why would he tell them the riches they have in Christ? Well, I was reading this commentary that I had already read, but I missed a big point. In Warren Wiersbe's commentary, he actually talks about the fact that Paul is writing about wealth would be significant to his readers. Why would it be significant? Because Ephesus was considered the bank of Asia. Now, what are banks for? They're places where we keep our belongings, where we keep our riches, our accounts, where we count our as our worth, our earthly worth. Now, some of us feel like, hey, you know, that's a place where I have something. And some of us might feel like, I don't have anything there. And some people are like, I'm not keeping them there. I don't trust the bank. So they got like a, a pillowcase or they got a, a can buried in the yard. But whatever it is, that's your bank. That's where you keep your worth. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, by the way, 10 years after he left them and planted the church there. 10 years. Think about that. That's a long time. Um, when he planted the church... It was around Acts nineteen, and then he goes off on missionary journeys and continues to plant churches. Well, ten years later, if I read Acts appropriately, I look at the end of acts what where 's Paul at the end of Acts? He always wanted to go there. It's a large city it's in Italy it 's called Rome. Well, what did Paul do when he got to Rome? Where was he put? He was put in prison so as paul 's writing this amazing account of all that God has given us in his riches he's deposited it into our account we have everything we need according to God's riches in Christ Paul's writing and telling them this as he's practically in prison now I don't know a whole lot of people in prison that when I write to them they write back and go do you know how much that I've been given in Christ no they're going I wish I could get out of here I wish I could not do what I did. Or in some cases, I did what I did, and I meant what I said, and so be it, you know. But Paul, he's not talking about being in jail at all. He's writing to these people that he deeply cares about, and he tells them, I want you to know what you have in Christ. I want you to stop checking your bank account and look at the bank account that Christ has given you. And I say that because Ephesus was considered the Bank of Asia, One of the seven wonders of the world, the great temple of Diana. We talked about that last week. Not only was it a place of worship for this false god where they had idols, but it was also, in Ephesus, was not only a center for idolatrous worship, but also a depository for wealth. Some of the greatest art treasures of the ancient world was housed in the magnificent building. And in this letter, Paul will compare the church of Jesus Christ, to a temple, and he will explain the great wealth that Christ has given in his church. See, here's what happens. Most people, all people, are born sinners. And you have a life that I call BC, before Christ, and a life that begins at salvation, and it goes on to, after Christ saved me. And so we have these riches we've been given, Most of us focus on salvation, but it's way more than that. Salvation is the the beginning of the work. It's It's the deliverance from Egypt. But the people of God, when they were delivered from Egypt, they weren't done. God had promised them a land of milk and honey that he was going to deliver them to. But the journey on the way there, they also had to trust God in the journey. But for 40 years, they didn't trust God. So while they wandered in the wilderness, here's what Satan did. He came along and he tempted them to try to go back to Egypt. Now, why would they want to go back to Egypt? There were slaves there. Well, because there was riches there, riches that they were used to wanting, whether it was gold and silver or the foods that they liked to eat. And so Satan comes along and he talks to the believer and he says, you know, It's good and all that you're going to church and stuff, but didn't you used to have a lot more fun when you lived for the world? I mean, didn't you get to go out with your friends and eat certain things and be at certain places, and now, because you're a believer in Christ, you don't go there? Aren't you missing out on what the world has to offer? Think about it. In Ephesians or in Ephesus, they're they're walking away from the temple that has all of the wealth of Asia in it. And they're saying, I I can't go there anymore. There's all this idolatry and all this false worship, and God is the one who desires to be worshipped, and He deserves it. And so I'm giving up this kingdom that I can taste, feel, touch, and experience, and in some ways get to partake of now, which we like, or I get to live for this kingdom that I can't see yet, that I've been promised, but I haven't even, I I don't get any physical benefit from it, seemingly. I like this. I can touch it, taste it, feel it. But I don't even know if this is true or not. I have this hope, but it's not fulfilled yet. And so, you know, this does kind of sound better. And so our hearts kind of long to go back to what once enslaved us because we only remember all the good stuff, right? And that's the temptation. I really I mean, I was a beer drinker from way back, and for the first three years when the Lord said, not any more for you, you can't control yourself, I said, okay, Lord, but every time I smelled a barbecue beef hamburger, man, I was like, man, that would go good with a brewski, you know, and the Lord was like, that's not for you, and so for me, it was always that, and, and the Lord kept showing me, like, was it really that great? And he would remind me not how great it was, but 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or the next day when I was hungover or, you know, the the commercials never show that. They show everybody like high-fiving, you know, getting out the funnel. And, you know, it's the greatest memories you make in, in college. And they never show the day after when all the bad decisions were made and the car wrecks and whatever came out, you know. And and so my point is is that Paul's going, look, I know you're going to be tempted to go back to the world, but look, I want you to look at your bank account now. See what you've been given in Christ. And as you recognize what you've been given in Christ, live for that, even though you haven't tasted and touched and felt and experienced all of its fullness yet. And so at the end of The section we studied last week, he says in verse 13, he says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Think about it like a letter. When a letter is mailed, it is sealed with what? They used to use a wax seal. They would melt down this wax and they would melt it. And it would even have an insignia of whoever sealed it. Now we use, like, we lick the stuff. It tastes horrible. You know, in some instances, you're wondering what you're digesting. But it seals the envelope. And you know if you receive an envelope that's been opened, it's been tampered with, right? Something might have gotten out of it or something might have gotten into it. But we as believers are delivered through this life, not around it, But through this life, because we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The final redemption. So the sealing is like a down payment of our ultimate fulfilling of all of salvation. We've been saved. We have a living hope. We are living for the kingdom now. But what protects us on the way to being face-to-face with Jesus, meeting Him, and being delivered there in His image, transformed by the renewing of our minds daily. It's the Holy Spirit. So what's a better analogy? Maybe we could understand that. Well, maybe it's an engagement ring. An engagement ring. So they use, sometimes you call it a promise ring, which has kind of lost its meaning because people give those, and they don't, then they break their promise. I was engaged before I met Kelly we had engagement rings, and at one point, because things didn't go well, my fiancé brought the ring back to me and said, we can't get married. Now, that's not a very good guarantee. If, if the promise is something that can be given back, then that's, that's horrible. That, that's not a good example. But in the Jewish wedding, the, the, the groom would give a dowry for the bride, and it was a down payment, essentially saying, I'm going to marry you. And they were engaged. Think of the story of Joseph and his wife Mary. Joseph and Mary were engaged, and Joseph was gonna to decide to put his wife away quietly, not to make a big example, because she turned up pregnant, right? Well, the, we were like, okay, well, what's the big deal? They weren't married yet anyway. Well, in Jewish culture, if you were engaged to somebody, that meant that you were, in order to break the engagement, you had to get a divorce. It wasn't just a, hey, we're engaged, and on the day we get married, then we're married. The ring was a promise that says, basically, we're already married. So in the same way, the Holy Spirit is given to us, the spirit of promise, and he has sealed us, meaning the deal is sealed, we're the Lord's, and uh, he's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We are that purchased possession. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ to the praise of His glory. And That's the purpose. We've been sealed for the praise of His glory. Now, now that we've gotten past that, verse 15, where we ended last week, therefore, Paul writes, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, Paul had lots of time to pray, right? He's in jail. And so, what do you do to make good time when you've got lots of time? Hopefully, you take some time and you pray. But Paul had heard because he had people bringing him what he needed as he was in jail. They didn't give you three hots and a cot. They gave you a place, and they said, If your friends like you, they can bring you food. They can provide for you. So Paul had other men who served with him. They had a heart for him. The churches too. They would send him sustenance. They would send him blankets. And most of all, he would always ask for his parchments, his books of the Bible. Bring me my Bible. I got lots of time. I need encouragement. I need the Word of God. And so Paul says, I I heard of your faith. Ten years after I planted a church there, I hear that the work is still going, and I pray for you. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. If you're thankful for someone, one of the best ways that you can show it is by telling them, yes, but also thank the Lord. Pray. Make it another opportunity to say, Lord, I'm so thankful for this person. Thank you that you're working in their life. Thank you that they're a blessing to me verse 17. Here's his prayer. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, wait a minute. He's already said that they're sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? But he says, I pray that the, that the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom And revelation in the knowledge of Him. So there's this constant need of the Holy Spirit to be given to us from the Father for this purpose. For wisdom and for revelation. Revelation is like the revealing. And so he says, for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who? Knowledge of God. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I wanted to get to this last week, and so I already had the reference written down. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, it says this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, that word means clear or unclouded, meaning healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, that word means diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, and the idea is that you think that it's light, but it's actually darkness. How great is that darkness? And so he's saying here that the eye is the lamp of the body. And it needs to be enlightened in order for the body, for the whole self, to be able to be enlightened to see the things for what they really are. If you think that you see the light, but actually what you're seeing is darkness, but you think it's light, what's wrong? Your eye's jacked up. You have improper perspective. And look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought that they were doing right. Look at Paul the Apostle. He thought that he saw... Until the day that Jesus met him on the way to Damascus, and he blinded him. Paul thought, I see things exactly as they're supposed to be. And the Lord said, you can't see anymore. And that's when Paul saw that he was actually blind and not with sight, spiritually. He had to be blinded physically to see that he was truly blind spiritually. And so back in Ephesians, he says, I pray that the Spirit would be given to you. And then verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened for this purpose that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards who? Us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Now, what power is he talking about there? God's got power, right? He's got creative power. He's got redemptive power. He's got power to raise dead to life. He says, according to the power which he worked, the same power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He says he seated him at the right hand of God, after he'd been killed, he was raised back to life, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. In other words, above all kingdoms and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. And verse 22, he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul prays for them, and the major thing that he prays for them, he's he's writing to a church of people that are already saved. He's writing to a group of people that are already saved. And he doesn't do what many traditional churches do, which is every Sunday, gather together and teach them about salvation again. He doesn't get together with them to teach them the ABCs. He gets together with them to pray, and he writes that God would open their eyes to the fullness of God and the truth of their life, all that they've already been given. He says, you've been given all these riches, verse 4 through 14, and then he says, now look at the bank account. Now, not everybody keeps a ledger, right? But when you look at your ledger, if you have one, and you see how much money is in the bank account, you're less likely to live as if you don't, or as if you do have more than you think. You know, there's actually a story in here. Um, <laughs> there's about this woman. Her her name, let's see, it's Hetty. But she had gone down in history as America's greatest miser. Yet, when she died in 1916, this woman, Hetty Green, left an estate valued at over $100 million. Now, in 1916, that's quite a bit of money, right? She ate cold oatmeal because it cost to heat it. Her son had to suffer a leg amputation because she delayed so long in looking for a free clinic that his case became incurable. She was wealthy and yet she chose to live like a pauper. She wanted to have worldly finances, and so because of that, she was unwilling to spend any of it. But if she would have looked at her bank account and realized that whatever she actually needed, she could still live within that means and and have great riches. And we, in the same way, many times live as if we are paupers, and yet spiritually we've been given everything. Prayer is the gateway. God has given us this entrance into his throne room to ask for anything. We've been just studying that with the guys on, in James. He says uh, in James chapter 1, he says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. That means that He doesn't despise us when we ask for wisdom. And yet many of us, are we have in our minds, whether it's because of our earthly families we were raised in or because of the group of people that we kind of hang out with, we we get this idea that God doesn't have time for me, He's too busy. And yet what God's Word says is He doesn't despise it when we ask Him for things. Now He also kind of goes through those things and decides what's important, what we actually need and what we don't. So we can literally pray for anything, yet not our will be done, but His. And the cool thing is, is He won't give us any bad gifts. In James chapter 1, verse, uh, I think it's 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. How cool is that? So we've been given all these riches and yet many of us never once actually reckon on them. If you know how much money is in your spiritual bank account it makes you a lot more likely to write checks. You know, there's a there's a girl at work that I work with and she's always joking she goes, "Of course I got money. I got all I still got checks." Right? But the checks only good if there's money in there. And she knows that. She's just always making that joke because there's lots of teenagers and there's lots of adults that think, I got checks, so I got money. But what what we do as Christians is we have all these riches in Christ, and yet we never, ever start to dip into them. And what Paul says to them is he says, don't look back at Egypt. Don't look at back at the treasury in the bank of Diana. Look at what you've been given in Christ. This kingdom that we're living for is far more worth The world's riches than anything. Jesus said that. He said, if anyone would try to keep his life, he's gonna lose it. But any anybody that'd be willing to give up this life in order to gain the kingdom of God will gain it for eternity. And so the question becomes: what are you putting all your effort into? Are you putting your effort into this worldly temporary structure? Or is your riches that you're gaining? Are you laying up treasures in heaven where where moth and rust can't destroy? I'm going to go on into chapter 2 and just read a little bit because we have a little bit of time. But here's what it says. The the overall theme of this book is sit, stand, walk. Okay. So in chapter 1 and 2, he says, sit down and realize who you are in Christ. And then in chapter three, he says, Stand. Stand, therefore, in what God has done. Have, and he says, Stand up not because you can, but because God has already stood for you. And then in chapter four, he says, Now, let's walk in the reality of these truths. Sit, stand, walk. Sit at the feet of Christ. Find out who you really are. Uh, this slide here says it all, and I stole it from another website. But it says, become who you are in Christ. Well, I don't need to become what I already am, do I? Well, kind of, because if you are something and yet you don't live that way, are you really that something? I hope that makes sense. But he says, become who you are in Christ. You are already these things. You're beloved. You're a son or a daughter in in Christ. You're a son of God. No one else could say that except Jesus himself. And yet, because what He's done, we are now sons of the King. We've been adopted. Now, many of us have earthly families, right? But even Jesus had an earthly family, and yet when His parents, when His mom and His brothers came to check on Him while He was ministering on the earth in Mark chapter 3, they came to Him and they said, hey, you're not even taking time to eat. Like, why don't you come see us? And... And so the crowd gathered around Jesus was so big that they, they kind of sent the message. They're like, hey, your family's outside. Your mother and your brother and your sisters, they're, they're outside and they're trying to get your attention. And Jesus said something interesting. I want to turn there. You know, we just talked about how we are adopted into the beloved. We are God's family. We're his sons and daughters. Let me see if I can find it. Hmm, There it is. In the end of chapter 3 of Mark. His brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, they sent a message to him calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And he answered them, and this is going to sound rude, but he's going to answer them something that reveals to us his identity. He says, who is my mother? and who are my brothers and he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and cuz no one answered and he said this here are my mother and my brothers now were those his mother and his brothers no they were i mean his physical earthly family were outside but he says this for whoever does the will of god is my brother and my sister and my mother so we are sons and daughters of god And yet what he says is, you can know my sons and daughters and sisters and brothers because they do the will of their father. Now, if we've been given all these riches in Christ, and yet we don't do the things that the Lord's given us to do, that message is not meant to bring us condemnation. It's meant to bring us up to speed, that God has a purpose for us. He's got reasons that he's left us here, and we are his, and so we should start living like it, right? And what you'll find is if you'll start living for that kingdom, then the temptations of this world, the, the, the temples of Diana full of money and gold and, and whatever else that might bring out in you a desire, it all fades away because you'll know who you are. And, and it won't be because somebody told you. You'll have an identity in Christ, that you are beloved by God himself, that you are his child, and that he delights in you. Do you know the Father delights in you? I read that a couple weeks ago and it really it really was like salve to me because many times I think about uh, my identity in Christ and, and I, I think about the Father and I pray to the Father and yet many times I think that when I mess up or have a bad day that He's just looking at me like, what would you do with your time today? What? Just laying around, being lazy. And yet He doesn't look at me like that. He looks at me because Christ already did everything for me. He says, I delight in you. I care about you deeply. I love you. I gave my son for you. Isn't that enough? And so we, we, as Paul writes to them, he says, I want you to become who you are in Christ. I want you to realize what God's done for you. And because I went off on that tangent, I'm not going to read into chapter 2. We'll start that next week. So let's pray. We're going to take communion this morning, and they've put it together. Um, I want you to think about that, your identity in Christ. And as you think about your identity in Christ, think about what what, what that applies to the rest of your life. If I am Christ, then what am I supposed to be doing with this life? Many of us have an identity crisis. We know we're Christ, and yet we're still living as if we're not. And God's called us to greater things, things that will fulfill us things that will take away the temptation of sin, things that will change our perspective on everything, and and that's what we need. So, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience as we are all that we are in Christ because of what you've done, and yet many of us have not gotten off the bench yet. And so, Father, if that's what we need this morning, give us that urge. Give us that uh, purpose, that sense of who we are and And show us the ways you've gifted us to serve, whether it's inside or outside of the church. Lord, help us to sit at your feet, get to know you, get to know who we are in Christ. And then, Father, as we become truly comfortable in our identity as believers, show us what's next. Father, help us to examine our lives this morning as we take communion as we take the body and the blood of Christ and remember that it was his sacrifice that made this all possible. Lord, help us to open ourselves up that you might enlighten us by your spirit to see things for what they really are, to see ourselves for what we really are. And Father, we thank you for this time to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.